Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. So good to have you here with us today for episode 366 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Really excited that you're here and excited about uh, welcoming back my colleague, friend of the program, and repeat podcast guest, Miss Jane Atkinson from Speaker Launcher. Now, uh, she has over three decades of industry experience and really knows what it's like to be in the trenches and also how to pivot successfully amidst uncertainty. And during this episode, we're going to be looking at the intricacies of speaking contracts. Very exciting stuff. This is very important. You want to pay close attention to this, as well as what we're going to be talking about, the must-haves as you navigate opportunities to take the stage. We're also going to be talking about booking travel, the value of keeping an open line of communication with your client. And then also, Jane's going to remind us of the careful balance between building relationships in our business and how to stay solution-oriented in less-than-ideal situations. So lots to get into here, tons of insight, actionable takeaways, and experience shared by Jane. So let's jump right into it. Here's my conversation on the ins and outs of speaking contracts with Jane Atkinson. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. I'm excited to bring back uh, one of my favorite people in the speaking industry, Miss Jane Atkinson, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, but uh, has just been a, um, a titan in the industry for decades. Can we say decades? It's got to be decades, right? Three decades? Holy biscuits. We are we are literally recording this on my birthday and I've been alive just longer than three decades. So that's how long Jane has been at this. That's how much knowledge she has to bring to us today. Uh, Jane is the author of The Wealthy Speaker and very, very knowledgeable on all things speaking. And so, uh, Jane, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I am so honored to be here. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Birthday and um it's absolutely my honor to be on here again with you. We love chatting with you. Um, and so today uh, we've got we're going to talk about like like true nuts and bolts, nitty gritty uh, speaker contracts, clauses, cancellations, that sort of thing. But before we get there, let's kind of zoom out for a second because uh, obviously a, a lot has happened in the world, and especially in the speaking industry. So uh, let's we don't have to rehash where we have been. Things are weird, but like, what do you you know? You and I are in the trenches day in and day out with speakers, event planners, agencies, bureaus. What's your kind of what's your state of the union right now? What's your pulse on the industry? How are things? Are we coming back? Uh, are we going back into it? Are we coming out of it? What's your what's your read currently? Yeah, I'm not sure when this will air, but <clears throat> we're kind of entering this whole fourth wave, and uh, the pulse the pulse that I'm feeling is rapid, and it's still going strong. I have a lot of clients who are out working, speaking, doing in-person, doing virtual, those things, a lot of them are still happening. And what I think is the good news about 
the fact that we've been here before is that the clients now know what they're doing yeah. and we know what we're doing. We know how to do virtual. We know how to pivot when we need to. We probably don't ever want to hear that word pivot again, but we, we know what we're doing. And I think now we can all approach this next chapter, whatever it may be, with that confidence that we sure as heck didn't have back in March of 2020. Right, right. Do you feel like, uh, especially when it comes to something like virtual, do you feel like that virtual was or has been just a kind of a, a stopgap temporary um, uh, temporary solution? Or do you feel like virtual is going to have a real place in the industry going forward? I think it'll have a place going forward. Do you think that too? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, pre-pandemic virtual was a thing, but it's not a thing that anybody took seriously on either side of the equation, speakers or event planners. We tried, I think the industry kind of had rumblings of this happening years ago, mm-hmm. a, de- yeah. a decade or so ago, but the technology wasn't good enough. Yeah. And, uh, because people have been able to pull off some really great virtual events, mm-hmm. now we're in business. And so I think my prediction is, and I could be wrong, but rather than having a lot of hybrid meetings where they do a great in-person event, but just an okay virtual event, mm-hmm. I think what we're going to see happening, and I think this, um, someone from MPI might have told me this, that they're going to do a live event and then they're going to do virtual in between and continue to do it. So a lot of people have recognized that they could do both and uh, they can do both well. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like virtual is going to have a real place in the industry going forward with, Mm -hmm. which if anything is amazing for speakers because it, it creates way more opportunities that didn't previously exist. And so when you just think of like basic laws of supply and demand, that you have a, a significant amount of live events and in-person events that are coming back, and you have this whole new genre of virtual events that are coming back and mixing some hybrid events, like there's a lot of opportunities for speakers right now at all different levels. That's our theme going forward here into this fourth wave is opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so rather than, oh man, my v- events are starting to get bumped out into the future or whatever if that happens and your your event your live event gets bumped out into 2022 think in terms of opportunity how can i build the relationship with this client and offer them a package of services that will allow us to end or even maybe even in the middle have the live event but let's do some webinars or some deep dives or some fun stuff leading up to that virtually. And I I think you can look at this as, oh no, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at this as, aha, opportunity. Right, right. Do you, uh, because you're, if I remember correctly, you're in Canada, right? I'm in Canada. And so yeah. are you seeing things a little bit different on that side of the border? Totally different. So mm-hmm. Canada is has been behind on, say, vaccinations, but we're ahead in terms of our overall double-vaxxed population. So we're a very compliant nation. (laughs) I would say we have about 80%, you know, double-vaxxed, right? So that puts us in a different place. Also, though, we're very cautious. And so here in Canada, we're not seeing nearly as many in-person events And everything is still kind of virtual. Like case in point, our speaker association in Canada had decided months ago to make our December, one that's not coming up for a few more months, 
virtual and you guys all had yours in July in in Las Vegas, right? right? And so that just goes to show like that's a perfect, you know, uh, parallel of what's really going on. I think we're similar to the UK as well. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. Let's shift gears for a second. Let's talk about uh, contracts and agreements, which again, is one of those things that I think pre-pandemic, most speakers didn't really pay attention to. It's just kind of like, yeah, you know, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. We sign, you kind of move on. And then the pandemic hits and it's like, oh, dang, like I really got to pay attention to like, what does my contract actually say? Yeah. So let's kind of, let's start by just zooming out. Like what are, what are some of the basic elements that every speaker agreement, speaker contract uh, needs to have? Well, when I used to represent celebrities, um, Sugar Ray Leonard was one of my clients when I worked at the Speakers Bureau. I recognized how important it was to document every bit of time that they would be with the client doing something because people would say, hey, we'd like to book Ray for a keynote. And on such and such a date. But then as it drew nearer, oh, can we have him come do a meet and greet? Oh, can we have him uh, do a VIP thing? Oh, you know, and so we got really stringent about the time. And so really talk to them. Are you going to want me before? Are you going to want me to do something after? What takes place before and after? Like really understand the mechanics of the meeting and your times that you're actually committing to. I think maybe people haven't been quite as intentional about that as they could have been and should have been. Now, I am not a contract expert, so but I will say that my philosophy on things is kind of like we can work it out. Mm-hmm. And so I would not necessarily consult a lawyer if I was drawing up my own contract for speaking simply because um, I just believe that. That's kind of the philosophy that I go by. And I hope never to be sued. I hope never to sue anybody else over a contract. I would just like to think that if I have your deposit, so 50% down, standard, Mm -hmm. if I have your deposit, that we'll be able to apply it somewhere out into the future. That's my goal. Yeah. Yeah. I I would totally agree. Easy to work with. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Like I've my own speaking agreement, like I've, it was never ran by a lawyer or anything like that. And it's just kind of like if, if something in the, you know, again, pre pandemic in the, you know, less than five situations where some issue arose. And again, it's super rare, but because of the pandemic, it kind of brought it to light Mm -hmm. of like, all right, we got to pay attention to this. You know, most of the time you're not going to end up in some type of legal situation or legal battle. Like ultimately, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a relationship business. You want to make sure that you are doing right by the client and how you handle that situation is oftentimes going to make or break you in the future. And so you kind of like to some degree when the agreement, when a situation arises, is like, I'm going to just throw out the agreement and like, how do I just, what's the right thing to do in this situation? Is that, is that what you'd advise most speakers and kind of how to think? Well, I mean, let's think through what's going to happen happen if they bump their date. So we're going to take your 50%. My goal is that people keep the deposit, okay? Mm -hmm. That we're going to apply it to the next date and that everything will be fine. Um, If they cancel it outright, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And I've not had a lot of situations where people just end up keeping the deposit. And I don't like that outcome. I don't think it feels fair to anybody, especially if you're a $15,000 speaker. So, um, yeah, I think it could be that you say in your agreement 
that should you want to change the date, you know, this 50% is holding the date of your choice. Yeah. That is why we have the deposit. It's locking down that date for you. And so the goal is that if something changes, that you're able to apply that 50% deposit and on to a new date. If they cancel outright, then I would probably put a clause in that we're going to switch it to virtual and that they still pay you. You know, some people will charge full fee for their virtual. Um, Jen, who runs my speaker school, she raised her rates 40% during COVID. <laughs> she encouraged me to raise mine too, which I did. And so, uh, you know, I, because she raised her rates because virtual was so much work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think it's that's a mindset piece too. You know, everything that we're talking about kind of comes down to your mindset about it and how fearful you are going into it. Right. Did you, uh, whenever it comes to like the virtual element, should you, like as speakers, should we start putting that type of clause in of, hey, depending on, because yeah, whether it's, you know, the event you're booking for is three months out or 12 months out, I think we all kind of have a sense of like no clue what the future holds and feels like we're out of it one day and back into the pandemic the next day. And so should we include some type of clause of like, hey, you know, if this goes virtual or if you decide to do it virtual, here's what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you'd recommend just keeping fee the same in those situations? Well, yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> if you've already got 50% and uh, you're, you're going to make the move over to the virtual, first of all, you've been holding a date that's not going to play, right? But you're mm-hmm. not penalizing them for that. So why not just take the full fee? Yeah. So now there are some situations where, because there's a couple different scenarios where an, where an agreement is going to come into play. You know, sometimes it's going to be uh, the event is going to change something. Sometimes it's going to be you changing something. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, the pandemic or some type of forces way outside of everybody's control. What about in this situation where it's, it's, it's on you? Meaning like, I'll give an example. Like last week I was at a conference just as an attendee and they had a, a celebrity speaker who's going to come and tested positive for COVID like right before. So, so can't come, you know, and like they're contracted to be there, can't come. Uh, So so what do you like, what do you do in those situations? It's either you provide them with a reasonable substitute or a refund is probably the right thing to do. Would you say? Yeah, I think so. And, and some of it also depends, like so much of this depends on the, the client and the nature of the work that you're doing with them. Meaning that, is this a one-off event that you're doing this one thing and you're never going to do anything else with them ever, ever again? Or is this something where they do four events a year? They do it every single year. You've worked with them before. You want to keep working with them in the future. Like there's those variables you got to consider as well. You're going to bend over backwards for, clearly for that second client. But I do, I do like to think that you can work it out with anybody and that uh, let's just be reasonable. And that's something that you can you can put what you want to do in writing, but you say to the client, look, I'm going to send you over this agreement. We need to head off problems at the past, Grant. Yeah. If you think your client is thinking about bumping out their event, they probably are. Call them up tomorrow and find out. Do not wait and be reactive. Be proactive about finding out what's going on and be their partner in the solution rather than some sort of afterthought. Right. So that you can say, okay, well, listen, you really wanted this content. Why don't we do something virtual for your people right now? You're, you're giving them ideas on things that they can do 
in the meantime so that they don't feel disappointed. And number one is that you're not coming off as disappointed that, oh, you know, this is a real inconvenience for me. Right, right. The more you're just a teeny tiny little cog in the big giant meeting wheel. A thousand percent agree. Yeah. (laughs) And the more that you can come to the table with solutions of going, hey, I've already thought about it. Here's, you know, option A, B, or C. Here's what I would recommend. Which would you prefer? What's going to be a win for you versus like, hey, that's not going to work. What are you guys going to do to fix it? You know, or or whatever kind of approach, but like come with some, some pre-thought ideas there. Now in the, the other thing I would piggyback on was uh, if there's some type of situation that like, especially in like the, the day or hours leading up to the event or traveling and you're running into some type of issue, just over, over, over communicate those yes. type of situations yeah, so that they are spell. never blindfolded. Yeah. You should always be texting with your client. Okay. Getting on the plane now in this climate of travel. And honestly, I haven't left Canada for a lo- really long time, nor do I plan to. So I'm, I'm a little bubble isolated here, but, um, in this climate of travel where things are getting post, you know, flights are getting delayed and canceled and things like that, you have to really plan to go early and like give yourself a lot of buffer time and be texting them, okay, sitting on the plane looks like all is good. You know, communicate with them all the way through your trip because that is such a relief to them once you land. Right, you know, right. On the ground, boots on the ground. We are here. I, the speaker has arrived. You know, if you're their only speaker, you're even more so. That simple text goes such a long way because oftentimes these events are booked, you know, maybe many, many months in advance. You probably have some type of pre event call a couple of weeks out, but yeah. the event rolls up and they're just kind of going like, are they going to show up for the sound check? Did they make it? Did they not? I, I have no clue. So yeah, yeah, just a simple text of I'm at the airport or I just landed or I'm at the hotel. I'll see you tomorrow morning. I'm so excited. You know, just that little thing, like immediately removes so much weight. And it's just a simple thing. But if every speaker listening does that, it'll go such a far away with, with, really uh, with event planners. Head off problems at the pass. Even if you have to pay more for the travel and the client's footing the whole bill, you know, say, hey, listen, I just want you to know I'm about to hit send on this, on this uh, flight and I want you to know it's this much. Yeah. Always be like proactively figuring out what could become a problem. You don't want your last interaction with the client to be one that they're ticked off because the the flight is $500 more than expected. Yeah. You know, so make sure that you're heading off problems of the past. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. 
I want to put a pin in travel stuff because I want to come back and talk about that. But in the event where let's say it's not your fault, but it's, it is the event's fault, meaning that, you know, like leading up to it a day or two or a week in advance, they're like, the event's canceled, or maybe we're not going virtual, or we're going to reschedule, but we don't know when we're going to reschedule. And I mean, at that point, you're not filling the date, you know, a couple of days out. And so that that is lost time for you. So how do you, again, depending on the, the context, how do you think about like, because there's the balance of like, on one hand, I'm running a business and mm-hmm. I was counting on that revenue or income and now it's just gone, or maybe it's postponed, but I don't know when it's postponed to, and I was kind of counting on it today. So yeah. how do you kind of navigate the relationship of, I want to, I want to maintain this relationship with them, but I'm also running a business and I have to pay bills here. Well, I have never penalized the client for bumping something out Mm -hmm. simply because I already know that they're dealing with the hotel and hotel contracts, at least before used to be, you know, hell to get out of. Yeah. And so I know that they have bigger fish to fry than me. So personally, I would say I'll come with you wherever we go. Let's just apply this deposit to the next thing and not give them a hard time. Uh, Because I think that the circumstances are typically out of our control. COVID is something that they can't control. We can't control. If they pull the plug on an event because, oh, well, we didn't get the people out and, you know, just in the regular time, it's in normal days, then you might say, okay, well, sorry, I've got your deposit you know, if we can figure something out for a future date, maybe I can give you some of the money back or something like that. You know, maybe yeah. I can give you a bit of a discount. But I I think COVID is a special circumstance. Yeah. I'll give you a quick story I've shared before with with speakers that this is something early in my own speaking career where I had this situation where we're basically a week before an event, they called and like, we just haven't had registration that we thought. And so we're going to have to just cancel it. Well, it was um, basically I was doing three different gigs and this one kind of fell in the middle. So it was just going from city A to B to C, just totally right. unrelated. And so it just didn't make logistical or financial sense to fly home in the middle of the other right. two. And so I was talking with a, a speaker mentor and I was like, man, what do I do in this situation? You know? And he's like, I would fly to the city. Like you're going there anyway. And I would see if I could do like a, a free thing for them somewhere. And like, how do you make this a win oh, for the client? Nice. And initially you're just like, that's a horrible idea. Why would you do that? You know, like, <laughs> And so uh, he said, no, no, just do this. And so ended up doing that, flew to the city, told the client ahead of time. They worked with a couple of different organizations there locally. And I said, let me just, you find an organization that needs some help. Let me come and do just a 30, 45 minute pep talk and let's have lunch. And then I'll fly on to the next city. Right. And so did that. And they, the person that was a, the state director at the time that had brought me in for that, they, a few years later were the national director of the same organization. And so they're First year as national director, when it came time to hire their opening keynote for the national convention, they hired me. And I don't know that it was because I'm anything special as a speaker, but I know like in their time of crisis, I planted seeds of just like, let me just take care of you and let me help out. Like this is negatively affecting both of us, but how do we turn this into a win? And so I always think about that of like, what are the things that we do now that we may have no clue the, you know, the positive ramifications that it may lead to in the future, but like, Try to, whenever possible, as best as possible, do right by the client. It's karma, baby. I mean, really, what goes around comes around. And so um, I think it's all in how, you know, we feel bad for people when things are not going the way that they want them to go. And so uh, 
that's a great thing. I love that story. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about travel costs for a second. So you mentioned before you're booking something that you're double checking with the client. How do you recommend? How do you advise? How do you teach uh, travel costs? Should they be all inclusive? Should they be separate? How do you think about that? I, I see us going more and more to all inclusive. And uh, but I think you need to make sure that you're you know, covering, covering it, you need to know mm-hmm. what's current in order to pick a number. So what used to be a $1,000 maybe is now $1,500 because you're not going to cover your, your base if you, um, and I look at that as a win some, lose some situation as well. Yeah. 1500 may cover it, 1500 you know, it might be 1300 on some, 1700 on some other. Okay, it all comes out in the wash. And, and I don't like nickel and diming clients. I don't really even like charging them for meals or anything like that. I would just rather, especially if you're a higher fee speaker, you know, whatever your travel costs are for you on the road, let's not do an itemized report of how much your peanuts cost at the airport. Yeah, with a thousand percent agreed. Do you, would you recommend just doing literally one line item or doing my speaking fee is X and my travel, just a flat travel fee is Y? Uh, well, you could build it in. That includes that includes travel. If you right. have a nice, healthy fee, then you could just say, my speaking fee is X, and that includes travel. Now, for their books, they may have two separate budgets, and you might put a little parentheses, you know, if you need to budget it this out, budget $1,500 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, definitely- matter to you. Yeah, totally. The I would definitely agree on going the all-inclusive route. Like whenever yeah. I first got started, I was would charge a, a flat speaking fee and then just invoice travel separately. And it's just a pain in the butt. It's a pain in the butt for the speaker and it's a pain in the butt for the event planner. And there's they they don't want to be surprised after the fact. Exactly. And you had you showed up, you spoke, you did an amazing job. And then they get a travel invoice that's just Ew. a touch more than they are anticipating. And it just leaves a bad taste in their mouth. And you you don't want to be cha- like after the event, they have moved on. So trying yeah. to get reimbursed for travel that that you've paid for, you know, for a, a flight maybe weeks or months ago is yeah. just a big pain in the butt. So yeah, much, much, much simpler, cleaner. Totally agree. Sometimes you make a little more, sometimes you little, lose it a little bit. Uh, but it's on you to kind of project that, especially if you know you're going to a tiny market and you got to fly into some little some little podunk airport and you just know it's going to cost more. Um, you the only thing I would in. make sure is that they're picking up the hotel so that mm-hmm. you're a part of their block. You want to, you don't want to be having to figure out your own hotel, uh, but you do want to be in charge of booking your own flights. So um, that's something that even if people do have the client pay for their travel, you don't ever want to have the client book your travel because now you're at the mercy of somebody else's decisions. Yep. Totally agree. I want to be in control Mm -hmm. of what, even if it means like, you know, maybe I'm paying a couple hundred extra more, but it's a direct flight or it's on the airline of my preference. I love the extra little, like for $250, you can be in first class. Of course, I'm going to take that every time. Like that makes perfect sense to me, but I would never want to charge that to the client if I wasn't a first class you know, it, if you're a $15,000 speaker and you demand first class, that's totally cool. But if you're a $5,000 speaker, then first class seems a little bit out of balance with what you're talking about. So I would eat that $250 myself. I, uh, I remember a speaker early on told me, I never want to have to justify why I got steak instead of a hamburger. 
<laughs> He's like, that's just dumb. Like, I don't want to be in that spot of like, I send in a receipt and then they're, you're trying to explain something. I remember a, uh, an event I spoke at one time, sent them travel expenses and they said that they don't pay the taxes on travel expenses. So they went through every receipt and they subtracted out what the taxes oh, were. And it was, yeah, you know, it's 20, 30, 40 bucks or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's inconsequential, but at the time you're just like, that's ridiculous, you know? And then you're like going back and forth with them, trying to sort it out and figure it out. It's so it's just, it's much cleaner and simpler for everyone. Travel all included one fee and you, you sort it out on your end. I started writing it down in my journal every morning, um, that I fly first every time, like years ago. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of my goal to do it. When I go to Toronto on the train, I even try to do it because they pamper you with, uh, you have to, if you've never traveled via one uh, in the normal times in Canada, mm -hmm. it's it's a really beautiful experience and they wine and dine you on, on the uh, trip. So anyway, um, that's kind of my goal is to be sitting in first class every time, even if I have to pay it out of pocket. Yeah, totally. Now, whenever it comes to like, okay, the contract's finalized, sending it off to the client, do you still do, you want them to physically sign it and send it back? Do you do an e-sign? Anything, anything that you've noticed on that that's worked well for you? Well, so my own business, we have no contracts. We just have people pay and that's the contract. But in a client's business, I think the e-signing has become so simple and so easy that it's almost a must to, in today's day and age. Now they're going to probably have to cut a check at some point. Yeah. I mean, the easier you can make it, uh, tell yeah. me, do you, do you ever accept credit cards grant? Um, you probably I do from one side of your business. If we have, yeah, from a speaking, like speaking gigs, trying to, like we may have a, couple of times there's none that come to mind um a lot of times yeah a lot of times it's a it's a check um uh yeah. yeah nothing nothing comes to mind do you do or what would you recommend um as far as you mentioned deposit 50 percent, super standard there are occasionally you run into clients that they just can't pay a deposit and so the nature of maybe how they got their funding like if they're some organizations i work with they got some type of outside grant funding and the nature of the grant is that they cannot pay a dime until the, the service has been rendered. So when you run into those type of situations where they just can't pay a deposit, do you, is, there any, is it worth raising a sink or it just kind of is what it is? I think if you're comfortable with the organization, where I'd see that as a red flag is anything overseas. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I would not get on a plane to go across the pond. Now I'm saying, I'm speaking as if I'm a speaker flying all over the place. I'm talking about my clients. Okay. Yeah. Cause I don't actually, uh, it's not my goal to book myself to speak. Um, yeah. If you were going across the pond overseas and you know, there's way too many scams going on with overseas people, you know, when the letter comes and it says, we would love you to participate in such and such and such conference, but they never ever tell you why you, they but wanted I'm... you or what subject matter they wanted you on. It's like, okay, scamola. So anyway, uh, in those situations, I would never get on a flight without having the money. But if it's a government operation, I mean, chances yeah. are you're going to get paid. And so I think it's just your level of trust. I would go with it and not be paid until final, but... Um, but you have to be able to trust the organization. Yep. Very true. Uh, all right. One other thing. Um, in addition to the contract, do you send a, a writer, an event information form? Because there's a lot of uh, 
a lot of little details that may not necessarily be in the contract. How do you, what else do you send with the so agreement? Anything um, money related should go on the contract, including mm-hmm. like if you wanted to buy books and things like that. We really want to plant the seed for getting a book in everybody's hand in the contract and send books with the contract. Yeah. Uh, anything money related should go on the contract. Everything else could go on a rider or an AV form. Yep. So how you want the room set up, <clears throat> all of that can go on the AV. Anything about recording. This is where COVID has gotten really funny um, with regards to recording because so many things have gone virtual I think a lot of clients just take it for granted that, hey, you're going to give us your intellectual property and then we're going to get to share it as much as we want to. So that's where you may want to lock it down and say uh, the recording is for internal use only and for a particular amount of time. Yeah. So how can they use it? Be really specific about that in the recording. That could go, that should probably actually go right in your contract. Um, but then on the AV uh, rider, you would put all of the other things that you might need to be able to do a great job for them. Tell yeah, them yeah. what kind of equipment you're bringing and all of that kind of stuff. One other thing um, that I, I know I've run into a, a couple of times, most of the time it wouldn't be an issue, but something we ended up including in our contract was um, if we were planning on, if they didn't pre-buy books or didn't pre-buy whatever resource, uh, is putting in there that that we had the opportunity to sell those. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and I think, again, I can only think of like once or twice where they said, no, nah, we, d- we don't allow any back of the room sales, you yeah. know, um, yeah. but just so that there's no surprises that you don't show up at the event with all your, you know, your Oops. gear and they're like, whoa, 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 what is it? We didn't yeah. talk about this. So um, six foot table back of the room, you might even ask them for a volunteer or mm-hmm. two and let them know that you'll gift them some books, the people who volunteer and they love, you know, most organizations are happy to do that. Yep. Um, but yeah, so you're putting clauses in that say back of room product sales, um, we won't do a hard pitch from the, from yep, the yep. platform, but we'd love to do a book signing, blah, blah, blah. And actually you could call it an autograph session because that kind of raises the level of celebrity a little bit. Yeah. Very smart. Well, I think it sounds like the overarching idea that I think we're definitely both on the same page of is, mm-hmm. um, put all this stuff in the agreement, make it look pretty and fancy, but ultimately like when a situation arises that may or may not be addressed in the agreement, like really think through how do I make this a win for the client? Yeah. Well, you know, how do I think about like long term? This is a, a business that I want to be in for a long time. Uh, I'm most likely going to cross paths with this client, you know, years down the road at some point, or they're going to talk mm-hmm. to other event planners or other potential clients that I may work with. Uh, and so how do I, you know, how do I make this a win for the client? Yeah. And and the same time, Grant. If it feels like they want to create a win-lose with you, then sometimes you just need to be okay saying, I'm sorry, I can't make that work. Yep. You know, give them solutions on how you could, but if they can't meet you, you know, in a place that is equitable on both sides, then, hey, okay, I'm sorry, we agree to disagree and we'll part ways. Yeah. Very true. Jane, I always enjoy chatting with you. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, your podcast, your books, where where can we go? So the Wealthy Speaker Podcast is on all the places. 
and uh, The Wealthy Speaker 2.0 is the book that's available over at speakerlauncher.com. That's a book if you're just starting out, if you're a little bit further along, we've got a book on how to scale your speaking business as well. And uh, yeah, speakerlauncher.com has all the free things as well as things that people, if they want to uh, get involved in a community of speakers who are growing their businesses, come on over. Awesome. And I would hands down like endorse Jane, go see her, one of the best in the business. As do I like, you, Grant. It well, goes both way, my friend. You're both too ways. kind. <laughs> Always good to chat with you. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. And again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.